Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. We pray and ask you that even as your word comes today, you, o Lord, will satisfy every test of righteousness. Give us a merciful heart so that we will show mercy to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a peculiar thing the heart is. Now, I'm not talking about, of course, the organ that pumps blood through our bodies. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking figuratively about what the heart is. That that heart that represents um, the spiritual part of us, where our emotions and our desires dwell. It's where we find our affections, our passions, our purpose, our thoughts, perceptions, imaginations, wisdom, knowledge, our beliefs, our reasoning, our memory, our conscience, all those kind of things. That's the heart I'm talking about. Lovers have their hearts stolen, don't they? And they have their hearts broken. Yeah, I've been there both, both places. People, have left, people who have left us remain where? In our hearts. When we change how we feel, we are as likely to have a change of heart as we are to have a change of mind. A good person has a heart of what? Gold, a heart of gold. If we want to have a sincere conversation with somebody, we have a heart-to-heart conversation. And if we say something really, really, really sincere, it comes from the bottom of our heart. comes from the bottom of our heart. Come on, stay with me here. (laughs) If we say something kiddingly, we are being lighthearted. And if we are really, really sad, we have a heavy heart. Yeah, we do. And when we lose all hope, our hearts sink. When we try to make people jealous, we tell them to eat their hearts out. (laughs) You. When we have good intentions, our hearts are in the right place, yeah? And when we decide to do something, we set our hearts on it. When we see someone do something... um, Unfortunate, unfortunate, I don't want to say stupid. Okay, we see someone do something stupid. What do we say when we have sympathy on them? Oh, bless their heart. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Dan just poured his coffee all over himself. Bless his heart. (laughs) Now listen, sometimes you don't think I can hear you when you say that. I do. I, I, I know you're saying. And apparently... The way to a man's heart is through his stomach, yeah? 
We're not talking anatomy, are we? I don't think so. And finally, perhaps the worst country western song of all time, and it was sung by a guy with an epic mullet, is Achy Breaky Heart. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the worst song ever written, actually. <laughs> Today I want to look at what Jesus said about the heart in the Beatitudes. We're continuing our, ser- our, uh, our, our sermon, sermon series on Built to Last. And, and I want to remind you that this sermon series shifts to Wednesdays in a couple weeks. As we wrap up the Beatitudes, which is how Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to spend the next two or three months going through um, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday. Because we believe for people to be disciples, first we have to baptize them, right? You become a Christian, you convert, you're baptized, and then we are to teach them everything that, that Jesus taught them to obey And that's what we're doing with the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to continue this on Wednesday nights after a couple weeks. But today we're specifically talking about the Beatitude where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to hear from you. We are trying to learn about the things that Jesus taught us, and we want to learn to observe everything he taught us. So today, Lord... No one came here to hear my opinion. God, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your words, what you have to tell us. Help me to deliver that faithfully, Lord. And God, help us all to have open hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, I want to start with the second part of this, if that's okay. I want to start with the part about seeing God. And um, I want to ask you the question, what does it mean to see God. Think about this. What does it mean to see God? I think there are maybe a couple facets of this that that we we should probably look at today. Let's see what the Bible says. First of all, understand that no one can see God's full glory and live. In the Old Testament, we read this story about how the, the Lord had given the Ten Commandments to Moses. Moses comes down the mountain, and what does he find? The Israelites had made a golden calf. They didn't know if Moses was coming back, if he was dead or what. So they made their own God, and they're worshiping it, and that's what Moses found. And he was furious. Not only was he furious, but God was furious. And God said, I'm not even going to go with you the rest of the way to the Promised Land, because if I did, I'd probably kill y'all. Yeah. And it was not too long after that that Moses had this conversation with God. This is in Exodus 33. And then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can can see me and live. So then he goes on to talk about how this is what we're going to do. On this mountain, there's this cleft in the rock, and I'm going to put you in there. 
and I'm going to go before you, and I'll let you see the backside of me. Because what does he say? No one can see. Um, my face must not be seen, he says, um, because no one may see me and live. And that's what, that's what happened. That's what God did. He allowed Moses to see him from behind. And, and, and then, even then, even not seeing God's face in the fullness of his glory, Moses came down the mountain and his face was glowing. It was shining so much that it freaked out everybody. They were afraid. And he had to wear a veil over his face to hide that. That's how awesome God's glory is. In fact, the Bible says no one has seen or can see God. This is what Paul said to Timothy. It's Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Earlier in that same letter to Timothy, Paul called God invisible. Yeah. So if we can't see God, why would Jesus say that those who are pure in heart would see him? I want you to consider this. I believe that while we are still on this earth, seeing God means perceiving, understanding, and sensing his reality. That's easy enough, huh? His reality. See, our God is not a philosophy or a theory or a concept, is he? He's not. Our God is real. We recognize that it is Jesus who makes God the Father known to us. Let's read John, the first chapter. I, I, I just love the first chapter of John. I've said that many times. John writes this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So even though no one's ever seen God, we can know him. That's something that's available to us. John wrote that Jesus, the Son, is himself God and is in closest relationship with God, and he has made God known to us. And I will tell you this morning, any other source of information about God is not going to be as reliable as what we get from Jesus. You want to know about me? Do you want to know about me? Probably not. Okay, probably not. But if you did want to know about me, I would say ask my wife. She knows me best, or if I can steal the phrase from John, she is in closest relationship with me. So it is that Jesus has made the Father known to us. Listen to this conversation. Jesus had this conversation with his disciples in John, the 14th chapter. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And we, can, we can just stop there. I want to point out that these scriptures give us an understanding of how we can see God now in this world. We see him through Jesus. But Jesus' audience, let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' audience that day 
most likely heard him speaking in the context of seeing God in the last, on the last day and on the day of judgment. You see, the Bible says that someday we finally will truly see God. We'll truly see him. Not in a figurative way, but we will truly see him in the New Jerusalem. This is what it says in Revelation 22. Both Revelation 21 and 22 talk about the New Jerusalem. This is what um, particularly is written in, in chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And that's what we look forward to. Um, we'll actually be in the presence of God. We'll be in the presence of God. And finally, we will have new bodies that will be able to finally truly see him in all his glory and splendor. In fact, John writes in the previous chapter that the city does not even need the sun and the moon to shine it, for the glory of God gives it light. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. That's the kind of place we are going to dwell in when we see God. That sounds amazing, right? It does. Sounds amazing. And, and who gets to be there now? Who does Jesus say gets to be there? The pure in heart. So, what does that mean? What does it mean to be pure in heart? Again, I think we want to understand what Jesus' audience heard that day. What did they understand sitting on this hillside in Galilee when they heard purity of heart? Well, being, being Jewish, being a Jewish audience... They would have heard him speak of purity in the context of a religion that placed strong emphasis on ritual purity. To be pure was to be clean and to not be infected with unclean things. The law of Moses and the later laws that had been added to the law of Moses over the centuries listed all kinds of things to do and not to do to be clean and things to do to make yourself clean if you had become unclean. Ritual washings were very important, and there was a litany of instructions given on how to be cleansed or purified from various physical conditions or behaviors. Now, the Jews were expected to keep these laws, right? They were. But that wasn't the whole story. Jesus taught them that it wasn't, it simply was not enough to do the right things. And not only that, but he had very, very strong words for those who focus only on the external things. In Matthew 23, he's talking, and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, he's talking to what should be the good guys, right? These are the religious, religious people, the teachers, he calls them hypocrites. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. See, there was a Pharisaic school of thought, and it was actually the majority thought at this time in, in history, that they taught that the outside of a cup could be considered clean even if the inside wasn't. And this is what Jesus was using to illustrate how the inside of the heart can be full of greed and self-indulgence while the outer person looks great, looks clean. And he goes on. 
He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says the same thing again. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the dead, or the bones of the dead, and everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, there was nothing to a good Jew that was considered more unclean than a corpse. So, think about the shock when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law heard Jesus say this. He described them, and they looked so good and pious on the outside, yeah? But he described them as being full of bones of the dead and everything unclean on the inside, referring to their hypocrisy and their wickedness. See, God is very clear. He looks beyond the outside of a person that we can see to the inside of the person that only he can see. In the Old Testament, um, God sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be the king, the new king of Israel. And the first son that he saw was the oldest, he was tall, and his name was Eliab, and, 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 and Samuel naturally assumed, wow, this guy, this is the one that God sent me to anoint to be king. And this is what happens in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I don't want to make any of us paranoid here. But God can see the condition of your heart. God can see the inside of you no matter what you portray on the outside to other people. The Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. But not only does he know your heart and see the heart, that's where he places the most value is on your heart, on my heart. A good portion of the law the law of Moses, a good portion of it address external actions or outward actions, but, but not all of it. In fact, you know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, what did he say? He listed two. The greatest is love the Lord your God um, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So he didn't even list any of the laws that dealt with our external actions, did he? In the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, six times Jesus uses this type of phrase. You have heard it said, blank, fill in the blank, but I say to you, blank. He said this about murder. He said this about adultery. He said it about divorce. He said it about making promises or oaths. He said it about an eye for an eye. And he said it about loving your enemies. For example, regarding adultery, this is what he said. He said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, even if he does not commit the act of adultery. And this is a clear theme that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. The heart matters more than our actions. And I don't want you to think that what's happened here is Jesus is changing the rules. I think it's really easier, easy for us to look at this and think, well, here are all these good Jewish people. You know, God 
laid out these laws and they're trying to follow these laws and now Jesus is moving the goalposts. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. God did not change his mind in the New Testament from what he said in the Old Testament. I've already given you one example from the Old Testament. Listen to another verse from Psalm 73 written by Asaph. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And David in the 24th Psalm, verses 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. This concept didn't start with the Sermon on the Mount. God always intended his people to live righteously in their actions, but not only in their actions. You want to ascend the mountain of the Lord? Do you want to stand in his presence? David gives us some characteristics of the people that get to do that. And the first two are these. First, those who have clean hands, and that's talking about the external thing, the things that we do, having clean hands. And then the second is the internal part. And that's, that's really the hard part, right? I mean, it's actually easier. Think about this. I think it's actually easier to follow rules than it is to have a pure heart. I think it's easier for me to be nice to somebody I really don't like, gets on my nerves, than it is for me to love that person, than it is for me to see them as God sees them, as a beautiful creation of his. That's the hard part. Our actions definitely have to be pure, but that's just not enough. John Piper observed this. Jesus did not come into this world simply because we have bad habits that need to be broken. He didn't. I, I believe this. Jesus came to heal our hearts. So what does a pure heart look like? Let's think about what the Bible says about hearts. Everyone's basically good, right? All people are basically good. We hear that all the time. It's just not true. In Genesis, after uh, Noah and his family had come off the ark and the animals had come off the ark, he, he built an altar and he sacrificed to God. And this is what it says in Genesis 8. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, talking about this sacrifice, and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And in Jeremiah, the prophet writes, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? See, the fact is, the hearts of people, of you and me, all of us, they're not good. They're the exact opposite, 180 degrees opposite, in fact. Every inclination is what God said. Every the way we are inclined, every inclination from childhood is evil. And Jeremiah even said, who can cure it? It's beyond cure. And this is what Jesus says happens in Mark 7. He says, for it's within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these things come from inside and defile a person. I feel like I need to wash my hands just reading that scripture. 
And Jesus says that's what comes out of our hearts. Well, this took a nasty turn, didn't it? Yeah, a real feel-good sermon this morning. I know some of you are thinking, I got up early for this. Really? Okay, gets better. Gets better. How do we define pure? Well, there are very few things in this world that are really, really, really pure. Usually we define pure as being a percentage of something. You know, there is such a thing as pure water, but if I have a water purification system that takes out 99% of the contaminants, that's pretty good. That is, that's pretty good. And it's impossible to create 100% pure gold, 24 karat gold. But if it is 99.95% pure, you can call it 24 karats. You can stamp that label on it. And in fact, if you know, people who buy gold for invest, investments and they buy the little ingots or the little pieces of gold, usually those are stamped 99.99% pure. And that's the way it is with the human heart. No matter what we do, 100% purity is unattainable. I know my heart's not 100%. I think I'm a, on a good day. I'd like to think it's 90% pure, but I really don't know if I'm there. And you know, I'm sure there's some of you that I'm looking at, your hearts are 99% pure. I believe that. I do. I do. But see, that's still not enough. And that's why we need a Redeemer. Yeah. We cannot make our hearts pure on our own. Proverbs writes, in Proverbs it writes, Who can say I have kept my heart pure? I am clean without sin. I can answer that question. No one. Say it with me. No one. We find hope, however, in John's first letter. We look at 1 John and we read this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, sorry, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. This is what happens. We confess he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We can have our hearts made pure by confessing our sins and allowing the blood of Jesus to wash away all of the foul, disgusting impurities in our hearts. And that amazing heart-cleansing power, listen to me, is only a breath of what? A breath away. What do we have to do? Confess. Confess and repent. Wow. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And listen to this promise that we find in the Old Testament. Kind of referred to it in the video we saw earlier in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And when that happens, when that happens, we can see God. He will reveal himself to us. We will know him as more than just a concept or a philosophy or an idea or a word and name on a piece of paper. We will know him as a living, living God 
who longs to be in a relationship with us, his creation. And that changes so much. Think about that. It changes how we worship when we see God as real and living God. It changes how we pray when we know, when we see him and he is real, as real as the person sitting next to you, as all of you are to me. It changes how we pray. Our words just don't kind of go out in the ether, do they? No. They go out to a living God who cares about everything we're saying to him. That's how it changes. And finally, when we do this, someday we get to see him in the new Jerusalem. Man. You know, in, in this beatitude, Jesus said that first we have to be pure in heart, and then we see God. He puts it in that order. I want you to think about this. When we do see him, when we do see God, one thing that happens is we then become more aware of our sin, of things that are impure in our hearts. And when that happens, first it makes it clear to us our need for help. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then it causes us to mourn over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that humbles our pride. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And it drives us to seek righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we find ourselves showing mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And that brings about, again, purification in our hearts. It's a beautiful cycle. It's a beautiful cycle. God continually changing us from the inside out. This is another word for sanctification. That working out. God doesn't God, God knows that for us to be made into the likeness of Christ, it's a process, right? The day I became saved, I didn't have all pure thoughts. I didn't have pure feelings towards people. That wasn't the last day I ever sinned, no. But God changed my heart that day, and it began a process where he started sanctifying me. I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't come just to teach us how to live righteously. He came to make us righteous. And righteous people live righteously. Yeah. And here's something else. Righteous people are built to last. Yeah. To wrap this up, I want us to read King David's prayer from Psalm 51. Jenny actually referred to it when she welcomed us this morning. Most of you know the story, but for those of you who don't, to make a long story short, David committed adultery with a woman to cover up his sin. He had her husband killed, and God sent the prophet Nathan who confronted him about it. Because God knows everything, right? Couldn't hide from God. And David repented. 
And this is his prayer of repentance. Psalm 51, start with the first verse. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and you're justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful of birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I want to ask you something. Why did you come here today? Why, why are you here? Why did you come? Some of you are going to say to hear Pastor Mark preach. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he'll be back next week and he'll, cor he'll correct everything I messed up today. No, really, why, did, why, why, are, why are we here today? We came, I, I hope to hear from God, right? Did you, did you come to hear from God? And is that it? Is that, is that all? Or did you come because there is a possibility that God will speak to you through his living word and you will walk out of here a better person, a better Christian, a better disciple than you were when you walked in these doors. We have an opportunity right now to respond to these words. I doubt any of us have reached the point where our hearts are 100% pure. I doubt it. We're not pure from 100% pure from sin, from the things that grieve God. And I believe that through the process of sanctification, God continues to reveal to us. He reveals things to us as we grow. Things that are in us that are still impure. Those things in our heart that it's time to deal with. And I think that as, as, as we see God more and more, as he works out in us these characteristics that we find in the Beatitudes, he brings things to our attention. Things that we need to repent of and things that we need to be free of. I know that right now, all of us, if we look into our hearts, most of us will be aware of things God is telling us. I want you to think yourself, think personally right now, that God is telling us it's time to repent of these things and walk away from them. Maybe you've known it for some time now. Maybe God's been speaking to you. You get that kind of nudge in your conscience that, boy, when I say this particular thing, that's not right. When I have this attitude toward this person, that's not right. When I do this sin, that's not right. Maybe God's been speaking to you about that. Or maybe even as I'm speaking right now, God's bringing something to your mind. Look in our hearts. It may be something big. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that 
I'm an embezzler, I'm a murderer, I've been shoplifting out of the mall. It may not be anything like that. It may be. But it may not be. It may be that next thing that in the sanctification process, that as we see God, and as we understand that we are bankrupt before Him, and as we mourn for our sin, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and now He's pointing something out to us. Time to deal with this. Get rid of it. It's un- impure. Now I tell you, if someone's, if you're hearing these thoughts, if something's coming to your mind, I guarantee you that's God. Because I tell you who it is, and it's not the devil putting that thought in your mind. Oh, that's not real. That's not real. Really? So this is what we're going to do. I think it's possible for all of us to leave here with hearts that are purer than they were when they walked in. And if God's revealed something to you, it could be a little thing. It could be a big thing. Whatever it is. I'm going to ask you to come down around these altars. And I'm going to ask you to come down around these altars with me. Because I'm going to be the first one down here. And this is just a physical thing. Do we need to do this? No, you don't have to. But I find that a physical action can spur us on to finally take a spiritual action. Because it's so easy to push it aside. God's talking to me, but if I just ignore, just ignore, made it, I can walk out the door. I've made it for another week. I'm saying don't do that today. So, if there's something in your heart God's telling you, it's time. Pluck it out. I love you and I want you to have pure hearts. Join me down in the front here. And if you've never made a decision to be a Christ follower, now is the time. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Confess and repent. He's faithful to forgive and to cleanse. If you want to, please join me down around the front. We are so grateful that we have a Redeemer. That God, that we can confess our sins and you are faithful. God, you're faithful. You forgive us and you cleanse us. God, you cleanse us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that even though there's no way we can have a pure heart on our own, you sent your Son to heal our broken, impure, filthy hearts and make them clean before you. Let us strive every day, Lord, to seek and hunger and thirst after righteousness, to be more like you. And let our hearts, Lord, let our hearts become pure and pure every day. We want to give you glory with our lives. We want to be pleasing. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord praise. Yeah. Yeah. God bless you. Go in grace.